Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan alongside Brandon Piller and Chris Parliament today. Looking back on the tenure of Pierre Dorian. It's four years since he assumed the role as general manager. We're talking about the best and the worst that that's brought. Some news and notes. A prospect has signed and we unveil our top five toughest senators in franchise history. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast. Your team every day. Today is Friday, April 10th. Boys, we should be celebrating the draft lottery results right now that were supposed to take place on Thursday. Instead, we continue to wait as the NHL weighs its decisions and public health officials of what's going to happen with the season, with the draft, with the lottery. So we'll save some draft talk for later in the show, but the big news coming out is more of an anniversary than news, and it's Pierre Dorian having four full seasons under his belt with the Ottawa Senators. Brandon, before we get into our best and worst, what is your overall assessment of Dorian's tenure? Well, it's pretty crazy because Dorian's gone through a lot of highs and lows in his four-year tenure. I mean, they're looking at the run all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, double OT Game 7, and then you're looking at some real heavy rebuilding years. So he's had to do a lot uh, of trades, especially because, as everyone knows, the Senators aren't the uh, top uh, requested free agent uh, landing spot. So a lot of this has to be done through trades. And he's made, actually, if you go through his uh, trades on uh, NHL Trade Tracker, he's made a lot of really uh, decent, like, minor deals. You know, like moving a fourth for a guy, uh, uh, minor league players that have uh, played a big role in Belleville and stuff like that. So overall, I would actually say he's done uh, pretty well with his time here because he's had a, a lot to deal with. And then you look at the Hoffman Carlson situation, like he's had a lot on his plate and for him to take, to build a team that had a playoff run like they did. And now to uh, really boost the rebuild here. Uh, yeah. I think Pierre Dorian has done a fairly good job. Something that has to be said as well is the, the media side of Pierre Dorian, PR Dorian, as we, uh, <laughs> we called him from time to time. So Parley, do you think it's kind of strange that maybe not strange is the word, but, disconcerting that when things were going well he was the first guy to want to be on every news station radio and then when things are starting to go poorly he just disappears i think that has a lot to do with something that uh, pilsey alluded to earlier in the fact that you know ottawa isn't exactly a hot spot in the nhl and when things are going well i think it's the pr in him to go out there and promote as much as possible and you know if you've got a a general manager laughing and making jokes at a press conference bringing in a guy like matt duchene that's going to be your headline on nhl.com i think he understands that he needs to generate a lot of the things and a lot of the attention that the senators do get i think he takes on a lot of roles you know we we know him as a guy with a scouting background who loves to scout. That's one of the roles that he's pretty passionate and in staying involved in. I think PR is secretly something that he is very uh, kind of into and uh, he's he's able to make a lot of sense and make a lot of good moves. And uh, I guess you could call them chess moves, Ross, because yeah, when times are tough, uh, he's definitely not the one on the front line still, but I think he he makes the positive choice to try and uh, and be the guy kind of guiding 
where the message is going when the message has a, a chance to be positive. And I uh, just wanted to, one thing came to mind this morning when we were kind of talking about what was uh, it being the four year anniversary of Pierre Dorian and Ross. I know you tweeted the picture, you put it in our group chat as well. I would have, it, it's almost like the stress of this last four years. I almost fully expected Pierre Dorian to have a full head of hair in his first press conference with the senators. And then all this stress has, uh, has led to what we see now, Pierre, but yeah, it's been a tumultuous four years up stands roller coaster, but uh, it, he's definitely got some stuff done. Oh yeah, the glaciers already well started melting on the <laughs> the hairline of Pierre Dorian even before he took over as Sens GM. If you don't know the photo we're talking about, you can go to at Sens Central on Twitter. Uh, we tweeted out the photo with this caption. Today marks obviously the four year anniversary of Dorian being named Sens GM. In ten words or less, how would you describe his tenure so far? A lot of people going with the classic "We're a team" from uh, opening uh, opening of training camp in twenty. 19 i think that was yeah right after um eric carlson was traded and speaking of trades let's start to get into our best and worst let's all do our worst first that way we can move into more positive um aspect towards the end so i'll start and it's just because i this was when send central was in its infancy and there weren't many people paying attention and i completely lost my marbles when not only was Alex Burroughs acquired for who I thought was a blue-chip prospect who played a total of zero NHL games ultimately. But giving Burroughs that extension, which they bought him out, so it was a bad move in retrospect as well. Giving Burroughs that extension may have been the worst, worst general manager move of that season. So that's definitely where I have to go on, on my worst story on trade. I'll let you answer the next question there or the give your worst next there, Pilsy, but I just have to hop in and say I'm surprised yeah. I don't still have the bruise on my arm because I remember it got uh, leaked out on Twitter that Darlene had been traded and then uh, I'm sitting beside Ross, both of us kind of disheveled with what was happening because I agree, I thought he was going to be the next Philip Forsberg in the NHL, Jonathan Darlene. And then Ross, classic Ross, refreshes Twitter and leans over and just socks me in the arm and says Alex Burroughs. So that's uh, two tough memories pretty much back-to-back for me. So I'll let you go with your worst trade there. Yeah, well, I was going to hop in there too, partly because, Ross, you crossed a lot of boundaries when that trade uh, broke. A couple F-bombs. Yeah, I think there was about four (laughs) tweets that we had to basically pry your phone out of your hand and delete them because they were uh, a, a little aggressive. For uh, for that time, we'll say that more but, aggressive yeah. than Burroughs played with the Sens. <laughs> Tell that to Taylor Hall. <laughs> <laughs> he did have uh, he did have two goals in his first game, and uh, we got that classic moment from Guy Boucher, which I'll oh, always yeah. love, where he pauses, stares right into the camera, and says, "I wonder what they think about the trade now." <laughs> which I mean, one of his goals is an empty netter, and the other one wasn't even that good, but it was just all time classic. Uh, Guy Boucher trying to sneak a sly little comment in there, and he was so proud of himself after that one. Yeah, that trade also has the um, the hugs where Dorian said he got a bunch of hugs when he got in the dress, or no, he got a bunch of high fives in the dressing room, and one player even hugged him. Yeah, so that uh, that that was definitely a bad one. I'll I'll give you that for sure, Ross. So now to uh, my worst trade. 
This one's a tough one. I'm going to take us back to July 18th, 2016. Brassard and a 2018 seventh round pick acquired from the New York Rangers for Mika Zibanejad and a 2018 second round pick. First thing uh, right off the bat with this trade I thought was really weird is both draft picks are for the 2018 draft in 2016. So obviously these guys were looking ahead here. And then the biggest issue with this is I don't know how Dorian, every time it seems this happens in trades, he always gets the worst pick. And this was by a mile. I mean, a seventh and a second. And you're already trading a younger blue chip prospect in Zibanejad. And this was all just a money deal. We all knew it. And that was the most frustrating part about it. But in hindsight, now looking at it, um, Broussard, he was signed for three more years at $5 million when the Sens got him. And now Zibanejad signed a deal in 2017, a five-year deal for only $350,000 more. And he's lighting it up. I mean, the guy had 41 goals in 57 games this season. Mind you, playing with Panarin obviously uh, helps that out. But if the Sens hadn't done that trade just to try to save a, a few bucks in a couple of years, uh, they'd have their number one center right now. And they wouldn't have to worry about it. And guys, I don't know about you, but... Zibanejad, at the time he was traded, that did not look like a classic deal where you're like, look, we know we think we have a lot of potential in this guy, but we're not seeing it. So we're going to move him for some value right now. He was improving every year and he seemed to get better and better and was meshing with this team. So to give a younger centerman and a pick five rounds earlier for um, Derek Broussard, who eventually was traded uh, to Pittsburgh uh, later and now he's really not looking so great. Uh, he only signed a short-term deal with the Islanders. So that's a tough one for Pierre Dorian, especially when you see Zibanejad light it up at just a fraction of a cost more than Broussard was. That was the first player that Pierre Dorian acquired as GM. He made two minor trades before then shipping off Alex Chasson to Calgary for he who must not be named, Pat Seeloff. Yeah. And uh, on the draft day, of course, he traded up one pick to get Logan Brown. But that Broussard for Zibanejad was his first real trade. Yikes. And yeah, fell flat, to say the least. Parley, who you got as the worst before we start turning the page here on good trades? I'm just going to hop in there, too, and just make a comment on Zibad because he was a guy that had a lot, little bit of grit to him as well, and I think he had a lot of sneaky speed. Do you remember that... Uh, overtime game-winning goal in the World Juniors where it was like he got like shot out of a cannon at the blue line on that loose puck and then went in and scored. That was definitely some exciting stuff for the Sens. Wasn't that he, the... That was the gold medal clinching goal. Yeah, yeah it, was. it was. In overtime, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I think he had that little bit of grit. I think it'd be fun to watch him beside a guy like Brady Kachuk, but... I mean, we never got the chance. Uh, you guys went with some good trades. I think I would agree, Ross. Uh, but just for uh, uh, argument's sake here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the big one out there. And uh, it's still such a bad taste in my mouth. And it's the Mark Stone trade. And, uh, you know, you get back a blue chip prospect. Um, you know, it's it, Eric Brandstrom is a guy that you, you kind of had to move because you had to make the move for because it was almost like replacing Eric Carlson, who you had to trade earlier in the year. But the Mark Stone one, it seemed like Mark Stone wanted to stay and they couldn't come up with the money to make him do it. And now two years later, he's probably going to be a leader in Vegas for a very long time. He's already got a ladder. I think he fit in perfectly as the Sens ca next captain if the money would have been there. And now we're worried about hitting the cap floor. So it just it's a tough time to look at it and say there's money there because there's so much 
moves that need to happen to make this team complete. And a lot of these young guys are not going to be hitting that big money deal unless like if a six by six and a half would have got it done for Mark Stone, maybe a little more money, throw it to him because that six years is kind of ending around the same time. A lot of these young guys in your rebuild is going to happen. Uh, Mark Stone, in my eyes, is one of the more complete, perfect players in the NHL. And uh, yeah, that one was definitely the toughest for me to watch. Why don't you uh, do this snake style and give us your best now? Well, wait, before wow. you start, uh, Parley, that's uh, and the crazy irony behind that. We're talking about Dorian. Remember, he said that was his proudest day as a GM, and you just declared that his worst trade of his tenure. So that's uh, that's crazy. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go first. And, uh, you know, <laughs> where I where I say that he made a mistake is kind of where I'm going to praise him here because now I'm going to go with the most recent trade he made and that's John Gabriel Pajot. And that was a guy that a lot of Sens fans were looking at and saying, okay, well then why isn't this guy our leader? He's doing a lot for us. It's a career year, kind of a local guy. The fans love him. There's so many good memories, the chicken parm, the four goals. There was a lot there for the Sens fans to grasp at that Sens fans thought they deserved. And he easily could have thrown money at a guy like Jean Gabriel Pajot where now we understand that there's money to be giving away. But he stuck to his guns and he said, this is a rebuilding team. I'm going to go out and make sure I get it. Uh, he went after a guy like Lou Lamorello, who uh, thoughts and prayers with him right now after six games with moving how many picks he did with the guys he went out and got to really try and make a run with that team. But yeah, moving John Gabriel Pajot and getting that third first rounder, that kind of said, you know what? If you like the trade or you don't, you know where Pierre Dorian stands. It's not always a, a thank, thankful job being the general manager of a struggling team. And uh, I think he kind of put emotions aside on this one, dug his heels into the dirt and said, we're rebuilding and this gives us the best opportunity to be having this uh, unparalleled success that we've promised our fan base come a couple of years. All right. That's uh that's a very good point because when Pajot got traded, I think it was a lot of Sens fans being like, oh, really? And then you read the return and you're like, okay, yeah, see ya. Thanks for everything, Pedro. Um, so it was definitely uh, a good trade once you saw what the return was. Pilsy, the best for you. Yeah, that uh, great description, Parley. That was dead on. And uh, yeah, definitely a good trade by Dorian there. So my best, this one... Uh, I'm more going to do this because it was just a really well-timed, uh, low-risk, high-reward situation. And this is a trade uh, he did. Actually, it was his Pierre Dorian's next trade after uh, my worst trade of Broussard for Zibby. And that was acquiring Mike Condon from Pittsburgh for just a fifth-round pick. And that was huge because uh, the Senators were really struggling in the crease that year, eh, guys? Anderson was out uh, to be with his wife, uh, who was dealing with cancer at the time, and Hammond was injured. So the Senators' goalies were uh, my guy, Chris Drieger, and then uh, Matt O'Connor. So that's who they're dealing with. So Pierre Dorian knew he had to go out and get a goalie. And Condon, basically, he led this team to that famous uh, 2017 playoff run. If it wasn't for acquiring Condon and him stepping in and having a pretty solid season for a guy who only played one period of NHL hockey that year prior uh, was a savior. And we wouldn't have had that chance to go on that magical run all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals if a guy like Condon isn't pick, uh, picked up in the season because... I don't think uh, Drieger and O'Connor can get it done for uh, that period of time. And especially Anderson was 
we had no idea when he was coming back, right? Like he could have came back uh, two weeks later, three weeks later. It ended up being months, right? So Condon was a huge pickup. And uh, for that, I'm glad Dorian didn't give up like a second round pick for uh, a higher caliber goalie or whatever. We just needed a stopgap guy to get us to Anderson, uh, which he did. And then Anderson uh, did what he did best and uh, carried this team in the playoffs when he was back. Yeah, Condon earning a shutout in his debut with the Senators over Vancouver. And then, as you mentioned, playing a huge role, 27 straight starts it was for crazy. Condon from December 1st up until February 4th, uh, getting points in 18 of those 27 games with 13 wins mixed in. So, yeah, definitely Mike Condon wearing the throwback uh, Ron Tugnut. Uh, tribute mask with the the mud splash with the uh, 2D logo right front and center. He looked good. He felt good, and he played good. And you mentioned big part of them making uh, the the playoffs and ultimately going on that run. I I can't imagine he slept much though. <laughs> Can you imagine playing that many games and having to lock in at that time of year? I remember that time we were in college at the time the three of us, and we were all kind of just like, oh, man, Condon again, eh? Condon again. It was kind of like the running joke, like, oh, let's check the lineup at practice today. Let's see what's going on. Check what Wally tweeted over at TSN. And then it was, oh, Condon's in net again. Oh, my. Condon's in net again. <laughs> it was just a long run. But, yeah, that mask was definitely uh, a welcome sight, eh, Ross? Yeah, that was absolutely unreal. Um, before I give my best, I'm going to have to give another worst first because we, <laughs> we can't we can't go without mentioning the Mike Hoffman trade for Mikel Bodker. See, I was going to mention that, the but the, the situation behind it changes everything. So I, I don't know if more, I can put... He got more like six hours later. Yeah, yeah. He had to be moved, and Dorian had zero leverage. I think that's the situation there. So I don't, I can't blame Dorian too much, even though I would say that's probably the worst trade for sure. But I, I don't want to put uh, Dorian down because his hands were tied. He, there's not much he could have done there. He could have traded within the division. The Panthers clearly wanted him. They gave. Up I don't think the Panthers gave him that deal. I don't know. Anyways, that's kind of. You're right. It is a clouded trade from that sense, but. I don't know. For my best, I'm not going to go with the Carlson one because I think they fell ass backwards into uh, into that first Agreed. Pick, that first round pick being so high. So for me, my best is, well, maybe this was a mistake too because word was they offered Ryan Dezingle a five-year contract but ultimately traded him to Columbus for Anthony Duclair as a throw-in and two second-round picks. Now, the Sens haven't used either of those two second-round picks. They got one one of those this year and one of them next year. So I thought it was great for Dorian. He knew that he had picks coming or already had picks for the 2019 draft. He wanted to wait even longer to spread out all the wealth of picks. And then you look at Duclair versus Dezingle since the trade. <laughs> like, it's not even close. 85 games for Dezingle, 41 points. And then you look at what Duclair's done. Also 87 games, but 54 points, including 23 goals this year, which is more than double Dezingle has since being uh, being dealt. And when you look at that on the other side, where Dezingle had 22 goals and 23 goals in his last two seasons with the Sens, I don't know if, if it was, like like I said, he didn't sign the contract that was offered to him, so it is a bit different from that sense, but... 
getting away from him at that time seems like, in hindsight, a very smart move, getting three assets for one. And that seemed like the perfect situation where money could have been just thrown at Ryan Dezingle because, again, he was having a career year. Didn't they offer him five mil? I, th- I thought it was, I heard exactly. five mil. Wow. That, that was the rumor going around, but I don't think it's ever been confirmed what the dollar amount was or anything right. like that. Right. Well, he signed for 3.3. Yeah, so perfect yeah. example of money that could have been thrown and then a contract where you're like, yeah, but remember that year he kind of earned it sort of thing. Where, as Pierre Dorian said, nope, we're getting picks. We're moving yeah. on. As an organization, we're moving on. And, uh, I mean, you traded the guy that he had really the majority of his success with in Matt Duchesne, so you can't expect him with the career he's had before that to just be able to uh, continue that without Matt Duchesne uh, in the center of his line. So I thought that was another good one. Ross, I actually was uh, I was thinking about maybe that being my best trade as well. Because yeah, of it was on my list. Yeah, that, that he was able to get. And just another good example of Pierre Dorian kind of taking advantage of a general manager that's willing to spend. You know what I mean? He went after Columbus that year uh, the day after. He moved Matt yeah. Duchesne there. So interesting move that uh, Pierre Dorian seems to be able to um, react to situations and get the most out of it when uh, he has a, a tough decision to make. He makes a decision that kind of alters it and takes advantage of uh, another general manager in a tough spot. Yeah, and uh, partly I think you bring up a good point is the reason Dorian has done a lot better recently is because there's been no clouded judgment of what the plan is. We are going to rebuild and we'll, we'll give guys like Pajot Dezingle uh, offers. But if they're not willing to meet our terms, see you later. Like we're, we're not going to get screwed over in contracts because they've dealt with that uh, before, right? So that's where Dorian's done a really good job. And uh, de- the big thing, too, is the reason Dezingle, I think, uh, and Duchesne went to Columbus is because, like, Ro- like you, uh, one of you guys mentioned, the reason Dezingle had so many points was because of Duchesne. So I think uh, the Columbus GM noticed that they played really well together and was like, look, I'm going to push my chips all in to get these guys together and have that chemistry. Dezingle, clearly not a torts guy, though. That did exactly. not work out. That, that you could have seen from a million miles away. There are so many similarities between Dezingle and Duclair in terms of their speed, their shiftiness, and they both have a really good release on their wrist shot. It, clearly, Duclair wasn't a Torts, or Torts wasn't a Duclair guy. What would make you think that Dezingle was a I think you're guy? banking on the chemistry. You're banking on the Duchesne-Dezingle chemistry. I think but that was Torts, the, the play. Torts didn't even play them together, really. Yeah, well, and then there's probably some uh, disconnect from uh, coach to GM, right? He averaged only 11 minutes and 20 seconds in the playoffs last year. And he That's... was healthy scratch a couple times in Carolina even. Like, yikes. Yep. Yep. So that's the best and the worst of Pierre Dorian. Let us know what you thought his best and worst trades are on Twitter at Sens Central. How awesome was it getting to talk to Andre Wall last week? We've got a few more uh, logs in the fire, but he brought the heat. If you haven't listened to it, we just retweeted in case you missed it this morning. A story I didn't catch the first time that was awesome the second time was why Alfie didn't want a room with him. So go find out why that is. Um, But on the heels of that interview, we figured it'd be fun to rank our top five toughest Ottawa Senators in team history. Now take toughness however you would like get creative with what you describe as a tough player is a defenseman who eats pucks a guy who throws bombs or just a big hitter think of andy sutton and him being an expert on his head against jordan leopold but we'll start with number one on pilsey's list 
Well, I mean, for me, this was a no-brainer. It's a hard-nosed guy from Flesherton, Ontario, and that's number 25, Chris Neal. You just look at the tenure that this guy has had over his time uh, with the Ottawa Senators, and just if you do a quick, if we're talking about toughness, first thing that comes to my mind is fights. Go to HockeyFights.com, the loyalty list, Ottawa Senators, number one, Chris Neal at 176. Next closest guy has 100 less fights. Like, it's it's not even close in that regard. And then you start looking at the hits that Neal has given out. He He's... Uh, throwing his body around like crazy, and he always knew how to toe that line. I think Parley's talked about it a lot of times. He hasn't been suspended, uh, and he was always right there on the line. And if anyone could get under the leaf skin or Ty Domi's skin, it was Chris Neal with those uh, with his frosted tip haircut back in the day. He was just an absolute agitator. So for me, a guy who's had so many uh, years and only played for the Ottawa Senators and has the numbers and stats to back it up like Chris Neal does, I don't think it's even up for debate. How can you argue with Chris Neal? 20th all-time in NHL penalty minutes, sandwiched right between Gary Roberts and Joe Kosher, two guys who loved dropping the mitts, Ken Danico, Matthew Barnaby, guys in that range as well. And I think we've said this maybe 10 podcasts in a row, but Chris Neal never suspended in an NHL game. I don't think you can say that about too many guys here in the top 25 uh, in penalty minutes all time. Chris Neal ending kind of like three minutes away from ending with 25-25 in penalty minutes, 2,522 during his career. So that was unanimous between all of us. I was kind of flip-flopping between mine, but I, I will put Nealer first just based on the longevity. Number two for me, you you might say that Chris Neal has double the fights, but a lot of them were against guys bigger than him, and you weren't sure which way it was going to go always. He, like, he didn't lose many fights, but he didn't like overly dominate every fight. Which is what you could say about my number two, Brian McGratton, the six foot four, two hundred and thirty-five Hamilton, Ontario native. He came to Ottawa after destroying, and I mean punching his way through the AHL. If you look at his AHL penalty minute numbers, it will blow your mind. Because I tweeted the other day about Jason Spezza, the year he won MVP in the uh, in the AHL. He had, I think it was like. 18 more assists and nine more points than anyone else. And then I sorted the league stats by penalty minutes that year. Brian McGratton in 71 games had 551 penalty minutes. <laughs> 551. Are you kidding me? Yeah. When and you're hitting half a thousand, that's insane. <laughs> and that was after 327 the year before and 173 in three years with Binghamton. He almost had a thousand penalty minutes. So this was a guy, when he came to the NHL, he was ready. It wasn't his first rodeo, uh, as you could say. But every fight I think I saw him with the Senators, he won. And I would love to get him on the show because there's one in particular. He was a healthy scratch in the game in Buffalo, that big line brawl. Mm -hmm. But I think I brought this up before. Those two teams played in Ottawa two days later. And he was put in the lineup for one reason, and that was to fight Andrew Peters. So I would love to get... I'd love to get in in between his ears about the the anticipation going into that game because I think he said some things in the press too. He's like he's like, well, we all know what I'm here for, right? But uh, I just remember in these three years with the Sens, like 
He played about 120 games, but that guy was as strong and as tough as they come. So Brian McGratton, number two on my list. Yeah, basically, uh, uh, the Binghamton Senators should have started charging him rent for uh, the penalty box there. He, for real. <laughs> basically a short-term renter uh, in that arena. And though, man, those jerseys were god-awful. I'm glad uh, they moved to Belleville and switched that up. Harley, you, uh, <laughs> well, you get the next one here. Yeah, so... Uh... Obviously, it was unanimous. Chris Neal, number one. It's funny enough that Brian McGratton is uh, is unanimous number two across our lists here. And one thing that always sticks out with me with Brian McGratton is uh, the movie Ice Guardians. And if you haven't watched it, it's a fantastic documentary. It goes through the NHL, talks to so many different fighters, what it was like. You know, Andre Wall in the last episode got into the mental side of it a little bit and uh, what it meant to just be a fighter and stay in the lineup every night. And a lot of guys were talking pretty candidly about the struggles that they had with it and if they'd do it again and the toll it took on them. And then it cut to Brian McGratton. And he had a mohawk with frosted tips and he was still sitting in a locker room because he was playing out on the coast because he still wanted to play that role. He had a little bit of a grin on his face and he says, you know, I was a little bit different. Uh, different guys got them going, got themselves going in different ways. I like to be punched first. That's the toughest words I've ever heard said. So yeah, that's that shoots up to number two on my list pretty damn quick. That's yeah. intimidating to say the least. All right, Pillsy, hit him with number three. Well, my number three, and uh, this is a guy who, in my mind, can do it all, and that's Boro Boro Cup. The, the guy fights. He's been called. We love saying it, but he's been named the Wayne Gretzky of hitting. He blocks shots like. Just he's the epitome of toughness, and the only reason I would say he's not above guys like Neil and uh, McGratton were a those were different times when toughness was a lot tougher. Like guys like Brian McGratton are dealing with uh, bigger customers than a guy like Boro would. Um, but Boro just throughout his time here, he's he's been tough also mentally. Like it's been a tough journey for him, and he just keeps grinding every year. He knows his role, and he's even stepped up offensively now. So. Boro's my number three guy just because he he's he gets toughness done all throughout blocking shots, hits, and fighting. So uh, that's my number three guy, Boro. I'm gonna hop in with a guy who uh, is kind of in the same thing for me. You know, it's not it's not the fighting that's really the. Uh, the epitome of what I think tough is in the NHL because there's so many bumps and bruises that go along the way. you got to be tough to play so much as these guys do and even keep up with the rigors of just being an NHLer. But then when you lay down and drop to your knees with Evgeny Malkin about three feet in front of you fully wound up and wear a shot, that's Anton Volchankov, and that's number three on my list. That guy was a warrior. He eight pucks for breakfast every time you looked at the block shot list i you know i i grew up near toronto right so i always had people in my ear saying oh the leafs the leafs the leafs if there's one thing i could cling to is that the senators always beat up the leafs and the anton volchankov would always be a league leader in block shots you remember those big warrior gloves he used to wear it looked like he had blockers on both hands that's what he used them for too he played big minutes he blocked a lot of shots i loved the guy i just thought he was a heart and soul guy you don't come by him very often, you know what I mean? The guys that can play so well in the game, but then just do those things right. Boro, he does, does those things too. I'll go ahead and say he came in on number five on my list. I know I'm skipping there, but I think you uh, you said it well, so I'll leave it at what you said. But Anton Volchankov just ate pucks for breakfast, and I wish more defensemen were like him. He was kind of like Nicholas Cronwall too before Cronwall mm-hmm. with putting his back into guys and, and right at the blue line. The bee sting. 
Yep, one pivot, and all of a sudden you get a, a back hit. Rob Blake was really good at that too. Adam Foote too, but um, yeah, un- unbelievable. Um, Anton Volchenkov, he's a little bit later on mine for number three. And as I search him on Hockey Reference, I see it's his birthday. So we're sending out a tweet right now to Dennis Vial. Man, this guy, maybe some younger Sens fans wouldn't remember because he was on the the, uh, the earlier days. He played with the Sens from 1993 uh, up until 1998. So um, maybe a little bit uh, more older than, than some of our listeners, but he was as tough as they come. He was the guy who was fighting Bob Probert, who was fighting uh, Rob Ray in his prime and... Um, uh, Man, among others, like he—he he was just one of the toughest guys, one of the first senators that I used to watch. Just absolutely destroy guys. Stu Grimson and him had some good battles as well. Um, tough, tough player, and kind of cool that his uh, nephew is now a friend of the show and mm-hmm. future Ottawa senator. Drake Batherson is uh, Dennis Fayal's nephew, so he's—he's um, he's one of those guys where if you want to watch some old school fights. Just YouTube Dennis Vial or go to HockeyFights.com and search up his name. Just an absolute unit and a guy who should not get lost in sense history and should be recognized as one of the toughest guys going. Yeah, and Ross, he was uh, he was your classic tough guy. Like It's kind of like McGratton. Like, there was no debate or gray area about what his role was with the team. And uh, he, he ended up playing in the British League a little bit. I know this is off topic from the Sens, but I just thought this is absolutely hilarious. He started a massive line brawl, and he was squirting water at fans in the stands. <laughs> the British Press Association, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, it's British hockey, so that's one thing. But uh, described the event, which escalated into a 36-man bench-clearing brawl. <laughs> as one of the worst scenes of violence ever seen at a British ice hockey rink. So, I mean, when you've got a quote saying you've done the most violent thing ever seen in a country's hockey rink, even if it is Britain, like, you're a tough guy. That's your tough guy. <laughs> so, so he's on the list. Pillar's research goes way deeper than mine because... Well, I, I, that's on his Wikipedia page. Don't see, uh, raise me I, too I didn't even click the Wikipedia page. The only thing I have to say about this guy is this picture pops up as soon as you type his name into Google and potentially the biggest head. You just know that he's a scrapper. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a target, not a, not a noggin. And, uh, I think one thing we should throw out there too, Ross, I'd like your opinion on this before we move down the list a little bit. Does he maybe get the edge in your eyes for like, you look at him and he's just a tough guy because he got to wear those almost all black sentence uniforms. So that's just that little bit more intimidating. Do you think that has something to do with it? I think it does. I think it adds about 10% to any man's toughness. And if you're listening <laughs> to this sense marketing team, bring them back because we need that old school 2d century and the gold pops so well on the black. There's just something about it. it gets my blood going. So yeah, if, if you're listening, Make the change and make all Sens fans happy. We thought it would be at the draft, but whenever it happens, if there's not new jerseys by next season, we riot, right? Yep. Right. As Cana- as proud Canadians, we riot, yeah. Yeah, we have to. Okay, well, I'll go to number four on my list because we've already kind of um, sung the praises of Mark Borvietsky as he's third on Pilsies. He's fourth on mine. I just want to shout out Vial beforehand. But Boro, man. And just to piggyback, I don't want to repeat everything that Pilsy said, so... I'm just going to say that how many times do you see Mark Borvigetsky leave a game and you're like, man, 
that looked bad. He is going to be out for months, and then he comes back two shifts later. And not yeah. only does he come back two shifts later, he's out there blocking shots. Again, he's playing the exact same rugged, um, like Tasmanian devil-style hockey that uh, that he's come to know and, and become um, adored for in the market. And there's there's nothing that takes this guy off his game. He is just a warrior through and through. It's it's so much fun to watch him play. Yeah, and, and you talk about like Chris Neal, my big point on him being number one on my list is like the mental toughness to not ever cross the line and do what you have to do like to get suspended, right? That's one thing for me. It was mentally tough. And I think Boro shows a lot of the mental toughness as well, because remember he got that concussion and he went out and he said, you know, I'm not going to be a fighter anymore. I'm still going to hit. I'm still going to do this stuff. But it's like he has the ability to not lose his cool in a situation where he's constantly in pain and constantly a target. And one more thing to throw in on Boro too, just to kind of wrap it up for myself anyways, is, uh, He's got. He's one of those guys in the NHL, one of the few left, I would say, that you always got to know when he's on the ice. And when you have that, I think you deserve to be one of the toughest guys in an organization-wise anyways. Great point. Yeah, and uh, Parley, if I'm not mistaken, um, the game you went, uh, we all went and against the Rangers mm-hmm. was your first yeah. NHL game, right? No, first sense game, first sense game. Oh, oh, well, first sense game, yeah. So, obviously, we show up uh, a little too late, uh, and we get to the game, and first thing, Parley's first sense experience is Boro dropping the gloves and uh, scrapping. I forget who he fought, but it was just kind of hilarious because Boro wasn't aware of the play, and Turris was on a full, clear breakaway. <laughs> yeah, and then maybe Boro not so dropped. mentally tough there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Not much awareness there. But I just thought that's uh, kind of a nice way to put a bow on it. That was Parley's first experience walking into the CTC with Boro uh, dropping the gloves. Yeah, that's awesome. You got to have that one in the memory bank forever. I, I feel like we're getting lost in the snake here. I know I've I've done my full. Well, I think four. we only have one guy left, and it's uh, it's our guy Andre Waugh. Yeah, unanimous all across the board. Let's go, Andre Waugh, friend of the show. Now, I love this because if you YouTube him, okay, this is this is when he was with Tampa. But the first video is Andre Waugh loses his cool, comma again. I, I love it. <laughs> just like he was he was so entertaining on the ice too, and. That's why I think it's great that he has turned to broadcasting because he's such a such a, a bubbly personality, loves to have some fun. Um, but you could see it. he was almost like Matthew Barnaby-esque, like chirping guys as they're fighting, like doing and anything. The French accent makes it all much funnier. So, so good. Um, yeah, so Andre Wa, what else needs to be said? If you want to hear how tough he is, just go listen to the last episode when we had him on because he's such a beauty. We mentioned at the start of the show that the NHL draft lottery was scheduled for Thursday, which was yesterday as we're recording on Friday, April 10th, but that's too depressing to even get into. So we're going to save that for a later date. Lots of time until the selections are made, but we will talk about prospects that have been signed and the Ottawa Senators signed their fifth round pick from a couple of years ago, Mark Kastelich, who's been absolutely dominating the WHL with the Calgary Hitmen, although he was selected as a 19-year-old, so he was a 21-year-old playing as an overager in the WHL, but he signs his entry-level deal. Pilsy, you excited to see this guy in Belleville next year or what? I am beyond excited, especially following along with, uh, if you don't already follow him, at Sense Prospect, he was a big uh, Castle guy as well. And the thing I feel like about this prospect is 
this is the guy who you wish Gabriel Gagne turned into. You know, like big frame, uh, that kind of forward. But it just it just never really happened for him. So hopefully Kasselix can uh, can change that around because that's 6'3", 221 pounds. That's a big boy. And he's going to dominate at an American Hockey League level. I can see him kind of slotting in at a, at a third line kind of role. I would love to see him. Uh, play with a guy like Archibald or something like that, you know, with uh, Parker Kelly in between those two. That'd be yeah. a great uh, rough and tumble line. So uh, great to see that he signed an entry-level contract and that we're going to see some of these draft picks start moving in and coming up to Bell Vegas. I think I'm a big-time Mark Kasselich guy too, and I think that he's the perfect example of the guy you want to have on your team. You know, he's the big guy that does all the things right. I remember uh, watching him in the rookie tournament this year in Belleville, having kind of a front row view of where his game was. And one thing that he was thrown into right away uh, when he was on the ice was, you know, he played his role well. And I love that in a player. You know, there was uh, the Sens were up and there was a defensive zone draw. Mark Kasselich was on the ice. You know, he's a big guy who can win that draw for you in the defensive zone. And one thing that I really liked about him as well is he had a lot of um, kind of chemistry, not with the puck, but with Eric Brandstrom kind of coming back through the ice. He's six foot three, so obviously he stood out to me. But uh, when he's coming back through the ice, he's for a big guy, he's got his head on a swivel and he's very good at filling the lanes. And there was a couple times where, you know, he'd kind of cut off of cut off a player and push him into where Eric Brandstrom was kind of doing that not Nick Cronwall, but kind of that that step up at the blue line to stop it, and then he was able to hop all over the loose puck. So it's like he understands the game a lot. One thing for me, too, is he was the captain of his team there in Calgary, and, uh, you know, he played that role very well. And then I, I sort of saw that leadership. You know, I, I mentioned that he was taking the defensive zone draws. He was out there. He talked to all five guys on the ice, and sometimes even the goaltender, Joey Decord, that night, where he was going with the puck, what he wants to have done. So it's it, he's definitely got that leader mindset. And uh, it's pretty cool that he's from Phoenix, Arizona as well, just as a, as a little throw in there, the guy that uh, – he was born there anyways, but uh, yeah. Well, no, he he played his minor hockey there too. It says on Elite yeah. Prospects, is Phoenix Junior Canadian. So kind of funny, if he does make the jump to the NHL, how, how many teams would have two players born in Phoenix with Brady Kachuk being born there, although raised in St. Louis? And could he eventually push Austin Matthews as the third best player born in Arizona? <laughs> well, I mean, old. you got to ask the question. Brady's already... I mean, only one of Brady Kachuk or Austin Matthews played in the All-Star game this year. So, I mean, it's pretty clear cut. Brady replaced Matthews. Yeah, well, for good reason. You're only allowed to have one AZ guy in the All-Star game. That's the rule. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Obviously, we're just poking fun at Austin Matthews. Good one-dimensional player he is. Um, as... <laughs> one-dimensional. <laughs> But no, we got to end with some fun. We got to stay sane here as times are crazy. But we'll be back. We've got some content ideas. We're um, weeding few through a few, and we'll uh, do our best to try to make things seem as normal as possible without NHL hockey. For Brandon Pillar, for Chris Parliament, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.